0: Our scripture lesson today is from uh, the book of James, and um, I will read a little bit from chapter 1 of James, a little bit from chapter 2. One starting at start verse 19. I encourage you to grab a Bible or a Bible app and uh, follow along there, just so it allows you to uh, connect with the passage in its context um, as I read. So we can start with James 1. I'll start verse 19, where it says, My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in the mirror and after looking at themselves, go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows and their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. And then from chapter 2, I'll start at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are Continuing our journey of learning what it means to walk and talk with Jesus, this is part of our broader journey of learning missional practices. Um, a number of us staff this week, actually, were in a conference called Glocal by our, our um, denominational missions um, organization called Resonate. So in this, in this teaching about Glocal, which is kind of connecting global, global and local together, recognizing that the world is all around us, Um, wherever we are, we learned really a simple summary in my mind of what it means to be doing missional practices. And it comes down to two things. And, you know, it's a really beautiful day out there, so I can suggest this. Listen to these two things, put them in practice, and then push pause and go outside and enjoy a beautiful day because this is really actually all you need to know. I know I'm downplaying my own sermon, but this is the truth. Listen to Jesus. Listen to others. Listen to Jesus, listen to others. If we would each take the time to slow ourselves down, to spend enough time that we have a sense of what God is saying to us, and then whoever we're living among or working among or connecting among or going to school among, listen to them so intently that you're aware of what God is saying to you through them, you probably will nail the missional lifestyle experience. Those are the main things. That said, it's pretty ironic that in this sermon, I'm not actually using the very first verse that I read, which is, be quick to listen and slow to speak. You now have a message on that verse. So walking and talking with Jesus is the series that we've been in. And if we're going to walk and talk with Jesus, Ascension Day, and really this has been a whole Ascension series, Ascension Day is essential in this in that Jesus is on the throne, which makes him king, or which makes him master, which makes him lord, which makes him our boss, right? And so the whole listening to Jesus thing is really about understanding we have a direct pipeline called prayer that allows us to hear from the master of the universe who's got a pretty good idea of what should be going on in our life, right? And prayer is really recognizing that relationship more than it is any of the formal activities that we do. So we've been talking about walking and talking with Jesus and really, I've worked backwards through that phrase. The with Jesus part is really the listening part, and we started by thinking about listening prayer. The talking is what we looked at last week, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus gives us a, a, a challenging and stretching um, agenda for what it looks like to have a conversation with him and with the Father. And then today, we're going to look at the walking part, which is faith in action. And, and it's not a complex passage, right? As you listen to it, you realize it's basically saying, if you believe, that's going to shape what you do. Right and again. That is definitely a summary of what this passage wants us to remember. So let me go back to that whole identity of Christ, um, image reality, right? Because this passage also begins with a what I would call a transformative transfer, right? To become a follower of Jesus, to be on the missional journey with Jesus, requires that there's some sort of internal. Change to how we believe, how we function, how we how our internal workings go. In fact, I suggest that the most concrete expression of this is our internal voice. Right. So, coming to follow Jesus is having this internal transformation where all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent is gone. So, a number of weeks ago, one or two, I talked to you about prayer ministry, um, which I am continuing to offer. So far, I'm not too busy doing it. I am doing it with a number of you. So awesome that you were brave and stepped forward. Prayer ministry is simply this process. And by the way, if you're wondering, do I need that? The answer is yes. Everybody I know who is not Jesus Christ needs this ongoing transformation process. Okay? So, end that question. That process of prayer ministry is really about allowing the evil words that are shaping how we function, how we feel, and how we live... To be healed, removed, forgiven by Jesus so that we can actually let his word of truth shape how we live. Right now, I want to suggest to you that that baseline is going to shape everything else that we do. Is that To engage in missional practices requires that we actually have that internal heart transformation because the voices many of us are hearing on the inside are, you don't know enough. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not pure enough to make a difference in this world. And Jesus wants to tell you, I never asked you to be all of those things. I am those things. Allow me to live in your heart. Jesus, when he talks about our words, says our words, that which we say is the overflow of our heart, right? And so the journey that we're on here, the transformative transfer that we're looking for, that gives us our identity in Christ, I-D-I-C, is that... Giving love of Jesus, speaking his truth into us. So get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Allow the word of God to dwell in you richly so that it shapes your truth. And as we do prayer ministry, what happens is we receive a word, excuse me, word word from Jesus that tells us his truth for our life and we begin to believe that that's how um, our Are guided, and shaped. That's how faith shapes our action. Internalized truth shapes action. I think I just said that. So do not merely listen to the word James says, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? And the next one picks up on that even more. And by the way, I started numbering here, and there's going to be eight, and I try to find why I have eight numbers and why there's a connection between them. These are eight points to my sermon of things I want to talk about. That's all I could come up with. So if you're looking for that, Actually, if you can come up with a reason that these are connected and how beautifully they all flow, send me an email, tell me, and I will own it as my own. Thank you very much. So number one is meditate, internalize, and enact. Do not merely listen to the Word, as James main point in this passage. And he says this, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, so whoever meditates on the Word, whoever allows the truth of Jesus as presented in the Word, as presented in Jesus' life, Whoever focuses on that so that they get him, and they're amazed by him, they're shocked by him, they're overwhelmed by his love, all those things, and then not, con- not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. So it sort of comes down to this. It's good to read the Bible. It's good to hear sermons explaining the Bible. But unless you internalize that, own it, and then live out of it, change something in your journey, you're probably missing the point, certainly, of what James is trying to say here. All right? And this is, this is really simple to understand. I don't think anyone's going to argue with this point. It's actually incredibly challenging to do. So if you've grown up in the church in particular, this is going to be a big challenge for you because you've been taught that to show up in this space and, and at this time to listen to this kind of a message, that is what Christianity is all about. But the reality is the heart of Christianity is actually what you do the rest of the week, the, under, the other six days and so many hours of the week, when you enact this and live it out and, and see it in action shaping your life and the lives of those around you. Meditate on the word yes, listen to God, but also listen to what's going on around you, listen to what God's calling you to do, and live those kinds of things out. And then talking is one of those actions. Those who consider themselves religious, and by the way, this is one of the few times that the Bible actually talks about religion and being religious. Religiosity actually is the rituals, the activities that we participate in, such as going to church and so on. So if you consider yourself religious because you do these things, and yet do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself, and your religion is worthless. I have a really special test here that you can all try out for yourselves, and I'm going to start by admitting I have failed this one regularly. How you test whether you have a rein on your tongue is this way. When you're driving by yourself, what do you say to the drivers around you, who of course are less capable drivers than you are, and so on and so forth? Pay attention to that voice, right? Not necessarily the ones that you do rein in when you don't say it out loud, what does the voice inside of you say? What is it telling you about where you're at? What does that tell you about your need to, again, continue that transformational process with Jesus so that what overflows from your heart is actually um, the words of truth and life and goodness that Christ has in store? So a number of years back, I was preaching on this passage or a similar one about taming the tongue. Um, there's a whole other section in James about this. And I committed that I was not going to be that person who, when I'm driving, says all kinds of things about other people and their driving abilities and so on. I didn't actually make it home from the service that day without having to start over again and confess that I had failed. This reality of what we say, what we think, how we respond to other people, it's not what makes you or breaks you as a Christian. It's a good litmus test. It's a good awareness test for you to say, Yep, there's still more transformation that needs to take place. I still need to do some confessing and being forgiven. I still need to be working on that, right? So don't let it um, paralyze you. They go, oh, yeah, no, shoot, I can't do that. I'm out. It's really just a way of saying, pay attention to that because there's probably more work for you to do. And that's all of us. Third, the action of caring toward the vulnerable. Religion, and again he's talking about religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. And look, he's not talking about a worship service. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Right? And um, that really picks up on all the Old Testament teaching. James is clearly talking to a um, Jewish uh, Hebrew crowd because of the content that he's using. Orphans and widows in the Old Testament... Um, economic system were the vulnerable. They were the people on the edges. They were people if someone didn't step in, they would probably be in a lot of trouble, right? So this isn't necessarily specifically about orphans and widows as much as it is about recognize who in your world around you is vulnerable and make sure you're there caring for them. There'll be a little bit more about that um, coming up. Engage without indulging. The passage says, Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We actually dealt with this last week week when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. And I talked about how um, God is going to lead us into places where we need to do ministry. And in those places, we've got to deal with the temptation to become too much like those people and probably the temptation to become too judgmental of those people. But to find a way to engage in a healthy, humble way that makes a difference but allows us to live out of the integrity of who we are, and of whose we are to keep our identity in Christ. Again, I did that last week. This is a reminder. We'll move on to point five. But do engage. That, of course, is the whole point of this passage. We're now in chapter two of James. If one of you says to somebody in need, that's the them there, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's hard to imagine anybody doing this, isn't it? walking up to a person, say, they're sitting on the side of the street with a cup out and a sign, you know, please give me some food, I'm hungry, I'm starving, to walk by them and go, go in peace, be well, and just walk away. Please don't do that. The challenge here is to recognize that to help somebody also doesn't simply include just putting some money in their cup or in their hand. I think a lot of us, a lot of us feel like we've accomplished our care for the poor by giving a little bit of money to whatever organizations and structures, and I'm certainly not speaking against doing that, but I'm pretty sure that the religion that James is talking about here, the true religion, is the one where you're actually engaged in the lives of those people. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but we've actually set up a society to keep us from having to be engaged in the lives of those people. Right? We live in a segregated society, not necessarily racially, but certainly e- economically. So if you live at a certain economic level, you live in a certain kind of economic neighborhood, and so you likely don't have too many neighbors close to you who are dealing with some of the things that are being talked about in this passage. And that feels pretty comfortable. Most of us want to have at least enough space and land around us to protect us from having to deal with people unless we actually want to deal with those people and invite them onto our private property. That's how our culture works. But Jesus, and James is a spokesperson here in the Bible, is calling us to a place where we are actually engaged in such a way that we know the name of the person that we're dealing with. We know their story, and we're willing to give our time, our precious time, to be a part of their life, right? Again, in the conference that we went to this week as a number of staff members, a lot of what we heard was this message of if you are going to be on mission in this world, you need to be in this world. You need to be somehow related to somebody or some in such a way that you can make a difference and a connection in their life. This being engaged to the point of beyond saying, hey, have a good day, to who are you? what's going on for you, and walking with them for a day, a year, a decade. That's the journey of transformational, missional living in this world. And what do we do with this one? So in some ways, I'm going to blame James for the fact that I don't have a list of things that all answer the same kind of a question. It's because James writes like that. James writes the way I like to write, which is he has an idea, he puts it on paper, and then he moves on to the next thing. We call that stream of consciousness this one, he's talking about faith and deeds still. And he says, so you say, so you claim. I believe there's one God, right? And I would say to those of you who are um, connected with the church of Jesus Christ, so you believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. So what? Even the demons believe that and shudder. So there's two messages in there as I see it. One is the whole side of It doesn't do you a whole lot of good just to believe an idea if it's not engaged in action. That's the whole point of this passage. The other one on this particular verse is the reality that probably a whole bunch of us don't really believe in demons. We might, again, say, oh, I believe in demons, but is there any understanding of how this world works for you that includes an understanding that, you know, there's actually evil demonic forces there, some that have infected people's lives and have infected our worlds and our culture and our systems, right, that actually need to be gotten rid of. When we understand that there's actually a spiritual battle going on, that the Holy Spirit, we're anticipating next week at Pentecost, um, is the opposite spirit of the spirit of all those things in this world that lead us to believe evil things, horrible things, either about ourselves or about those around us. When we understand that that battle's going on, it actually shapes reshapes the way we look at this world. It actually drives us to prayer because we get the sense that, wait a minute, this isn't just about somebody being not so bright. This is about somebody having been influenced by evil, by a demon, by Satan. And that's shaping the way they function. It actually allows us to have a whole lot more compassion because we recognize that there's a lot of people whose lives have been affected by evil, whether it's past sins or generational sins or things they've done or ways that Satan has gotten a hold of their heart. And so we recognize what needs to be healed is not, oh, that's a bad person, push them away. It's, that's a beautiful image bearer of God who happens to have been affected by something demonic, something evil, something wrong, and we need to move that on out. Put in another plug for prayer ministry. Prayer ministry brings us to a place with people where, if there's something demonic in the way, Jesus will point that out. And here's a neat secret: because I know most of us are mainly not believing in demons because it's so terrifying we don't want to have anything to do with it. Demons are defeated because Satan is defeated; and they're just his minions, right? And all a demon can do is hang on to well, this person let me in or this event let me in. They have no authority. As soon as we say, Jesus, they shudder, as the passage says, right? One of the greatest actions, again, we can give anybody's life is to help them see that there is actually healing and restoration and freedom from evil truths in our lives available in Jesus Christ. And that powerful name of Jesus Christ will deliver us. story, this passage also talks about Rahab, that'll be the next slide. Both of those people show up a few chapters earlier in our Bible, the way it's written anyways, in the book of Hebrews, in the faith hall of fame. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith hall of fame and all kinds of famous Bible characters are in there showing their faith. Um, And Abraham and, and Rahab show up there. So that chapter, Hebrews 11, is all about it's by faith that you're saved. And, and Martin Luther, by the way, as he started the Reformation, he wanted to get rid of the book of James because he was so excited about the fact that it's not by works, but by faith that you're saved. That when he heard James say, yeah, but your faith needs to show up in works, he wanted to say, no, 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 keep focusing on faith, because that was so important to him. It's, again, this, this balance, this interaction of the two. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And this is this is really an incredible story and I'm just going to touch on it here and recognize this piece of it. Isaac was the promised son to Abraham. So God said, you're going to be the father of a great nation and Abraham said, one small problem with that, I don't have any children. And so when God finally in his old age gave Abraham this son Isaac and then as a test of faith said yeah, offer him on an altar as a sacrifice which is so messy because that was not at all part of what God called people to do. It was actually part of the religions around them that God told them to get rid of. When God called Abraham to do that, that was a request beyond anything I can imagine being asked to do, to step out in faith and take your own son and treat him like an animal sacrifice and kill him. And Abraham stepped it out in faith. God didn't make him do it. Sorry, spoiler alert there. should have given you that one. God didn't make him do it, but he tested and deepened Abraham's faith that sometimes what God is calling us to do is something where we're going, I can't see how that's going to work out for me. See, because sometimes God's going to call you out of the seemingly obvious path that your life is on that looks like it's going to be successful and says, yeah, but I actually want you to go over here, which probably won't look as successful in your mind, but it's what I need you to do. Again, this is why we need to spend a lot of time listening to Jesus because that's where we're going to get those promptings from the Spirit right? and listening to the opportunities that he puts in the world around us. Sometimes faith calls us to act beyond what we can see and understand. And then, finally, is faith. James says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute? By the way, James might be helped by a little bit of sensitivity training. We now say things like Rahab, who happened to be a prostitute, and I'm just labeling her as only being a prostitute. And this brought me back, by the way, to my experience of growing up in the church and going to Sunday school and learning the Rahab story. And of course, we whitewashed the And again, one of those messy stories, right? And I'm not saying a whole lot more about that. That's for you parents at home to talk to your children about at whatever level you want to. Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous for what she did. She acted in faith. And I'm guessing that they didn't give her a full-blown explanation of the Torah, of their their book at the time, of the laws, of their history, right? They just said, will you protect us and let us go? That was faith enough for her. And that story makes me marvel because I think there's so many people who who we connect with along the way, they haven't professed their faith publicly, which is our um, official um, initiation, right? They just have this sense that I'm supposed to act now, and I would suggest to you that we probably need to embrace those people and go, you have faith, because you acted in the right way in this moment, and then maybe along the way we'll teach them the rest of the story and so on. But recognize that God works in these crazy ways where he takes a Rahab, whose life is messy and a mess, he's probably being heard in too many ways to imagine, and calls her to an act of obedience that puts her in the hall of fame of faith as one who believed because she did what she was called to do for God's people in that moment and at that time. That action is, for her, faith. And that sort of messes with our categories, and I think that's intentional recognize that who's in, who's out is really not our business, but to celebrate and engage in all those things which can transform this world and our lives. Summary slide. Next steps. Uh, Next week, uh, Pastor Fred will be preaching on Pentecost. Um, I'll be on a classical appointment, and after that, I can do at least a two-week series on neighboring and this is going to be the missional practices kind of hitting the road thing where we talk about who's my neighbor and what does it mean to be led by the Spirit in neighboring. Um, and then out of that, or after that, for the course of the summer, um, Pastor Peter, our intern, and I are going to be preaching what I would call a random collection of sermons for the summer. And then in the, in the fall, we're going to engage right back in all the things I've been teaching you since I've been here. We're going to, going to have a group that will look at listening prayer. We're going to have a group that looks at um, prayer ministry. A number of these different things, we are going to give opportunities to dig in deeper, right? Because I do this this week, and the next week I teach you something else, and you've got to think about all these things at the same time. And some of you actually have other things to do than think about what I'm telling you. I can't believe that, but it's true. And so we're going to actually slow down and sit in each of these things for a longer period of time so that we become a little more deeply engaged in our soul. And out of those fall engagement opportunities, um, our plan is that you'll be engaged in enacting your mission, your purpose, wherever you live, with whomever you're called to do. So we want to, again, put this faith conversation we've been having into action and living it out under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We serve a Savior, Lord Jesus, who died to cover our sins, to set us free from our sin, who rose again to show us that he has empowered us to live for him, right? Who ascended to heaven and sits on the throne, he's the master of our lives, and he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us for whatever we need to do. If you believe that, there's no reason not to engage in all the things we've been talking about here because you have God on your side, at your back, with you, within you, around you, and on the throne. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe. We believe what you've taught us about yourself. We also believe probably a lot of messy things along the way And so we ask that you would continue to draw us into your presence where those things which are the basics of what it means to follow you are so deeply rooted in our hearts that they also shape the way we act and live. And I pray again, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't try to do this on our own strength by just gutting out a little bit more and being better people on our own strength, but that we would surrender ourselves to you and allow you to cleanse us and heal us and set us free and bring us to a place we can also allow you to be the master of our souls, our minds, our hearts, our lives, our actions. We offer ourselves again to you, Jesus, in your holy name.